Good morning. This morning's passage will be from Romans. Uh, I'll be reading is Romans six twenty to seven verse six. That's starting on page ten ninety five of your pew Bibles. Romans twenty. Sorry, Romans six verse twenty. When you were free, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you not know, brothers, for I am, not, for I am speaking to men who know the law? that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law, and she is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Son. I thank you that you have saved us. I pray for Pastor Mark as he comes and speaks, that you would guide his words as he shares what you have put on his heart. Lord, would our ears be open and our minds be receptive to what you have to teach us, and may our hearts be transformed. In your name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks to our old married brother, Riley, and his old married wife, Isela, of all of about a month now. I asked Riley earlier if they still like each other, and the good news is, the answer is yes, quite a bit. So, uh, so that's good. Welcome. It's good to see you. Death. I've been thinking quite a bit about death these days. I am, after all, closer to physical death than I've ever been, and so are you, by the way. But I, have, I haven't been thinking about it in a morbid sort of dreadful or fearful or avoidant way. But rather, I've been thinking about the relationship of death to life. How can we meaningfully talk about, or think about, or preach about, or teach about, or believe and practice what is factual, what is verifiably true, 
and especially what is both faithfully biblical and historically Christian about death. And can we do so apart from its contrary, which is life? How can we approach this topic in its relationship to life? Now, death is an inevitable and unavoidable reality of life. Indeed, death awaits us all at the end of our physical or earthly lives. Every creature that ever has lived on the earth is moving in that same direction, whether self-consciously, such as us human beings, or subconsciously, in the animal kingdom. We live, we die, the end. Or that's the appearance of the situation. On a most basic level, death and life would appear to oppose or contradict or even cancel each other. In math terms, Life would be a plus. Death would be a minus. But are they of equal value? Do they truly cancel each other, such as life equals plus one, and death equals minus one, and is zero the sum? Certainly to be alive appears to mean fundamentally not to be dead. And to be dead appears to mean, just as fundamentally, not to be alive. But is it so simple? Is it biblically, theologically, rationally, and practically possible that there are finite and temporal versions of life and death, and there are infinite and eternal versions of both life and death? Well, the biblical answer to these questions is yes. There are finite, temporal, and limited versions of life and death. And yes, there are also infinite, eternal, and unlimited versions of both. Life and death are not the same. They are not of equal value. They are not two sides of the same coin. They are not merely seasons or phases in our cosmic being of existence. It may surprise us to hear from the biblical point of view that physical death is not the doorway or gateway to eternal life. I'll say that one more time. Physical death is not the doorway or gateway to eternal life. Jesus is. Did Jesus not say, I am the way? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Even more to the point, Jesus also said, I am the door or or the gate. If anyone enters by, I I left out this uh, quotation, I see. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know my father. 
Furthermore, did not the Holy Spirit say by Paul the Apostle of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26. And finally, John was another of Jesus' writing apostles and his closest friend on the earth. Did he not foresee into the future a vision from the Holy Spirit so clear and so sure that he could write it in the past tense? Yes, he did. Then death and Hades were thrown, past tense, were thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20 and verse 14. He also said that God in Christ Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things, that is, the lesser things, have passed away. God's word written also says that. So let's take this contextual opportunity to say that death is not our friend. I often hear us talking about death as if it's our friend, but it's not our friend. Death is not your loved one's peace. Death is our enemy and the enemy of the living God. The gospel truth is that Jesus has overcome death in the power of his resurrection. Jesus has vanquished death and he will finally destroy death in the lake of fire forever. Consequently, Jesus Christ and not death is the door or the gateway into eternal life. Indeed, Jesus Christ is eternal life. So one combination of these apparently opposing sides of life and death is finite temporal and and limited physical death. Note those terms, finite, limited, temporal, physical death, combined with Jesus as our overcoming infinite, eternal, unlimited life, this gives us great and even infinite, eternal, unlimited joy and hope. He gives us this great, infinite, unlimited life, joy and hope. The other combination, though, finite, temporal, limited, physical death that we will all experience, but with finite, temporal, limited, physical life, it gives no hope at all. Only, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's adversaries. And so, no, no, life and death are not equal. Therefore, no, life and death do not cancel each other out. Jesus Christ has defeated death because Jesus Christ is himself eternal life. And he lives forever, interceding on behalf of all his saints And he will return in glory to raise us up and take us with him into the glory of new heavens and new earth in which righteousness will dwell once and for all and forever. Jesus minus death equals eternal life. 
But before we get there, and we will, we've got some significant biblical and theological distance to travel in the ministry of God's Word this morning. I'd I'd, uh, like to ask you once again to make sure you have both your Bibles open to Romans 6 and your minds and hearts open to the Spirit of God as Riley prayed for us. But before we continue, I'd also like to add my prayer to the rest of our message. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we come before you asking that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would clear any clutter, distraction, um, unbelief, lack of mercy and compassion, lack of love, lack of truth, any lack that we have, Lord, that you would transcend and overcome it to speak to us your word, your living word of truth. And we know that supremely your word is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, by your spirit, please minister to us your word as you are the word um, in the time we have remaining. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. As I noted in our weekly congregational letter this week, we are returning to our series from the book of Romans entitled Persevering by Faith and Hope in Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus. Throughout the whole Bible, the perseverance of God's people is emphasized as a key fundamental aspect of our biblical Christian character, our witness, our ministry, and our fellowship. Persevering in faith, in hope, and in ministry. Persevering in friendship, in fellowship, and in leadership. Persevering in life through difficulties, and even in death, which is not our friend, our testimonies to the risen Lord Jesus. Our ability to persevere in Christ Jesus comes by the presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness to his people is a fundamental aspect of God's character. Because we know and are convinced that God in Christ Jesus will never ever leave us nor forsake us as is his promise to us, we now can persevere in love and knowledge by faith and hope in the power of his spirit. He will not leave us, therefore we can persevere no matter what the circumstance. Now, last month, on Sunday, July 16th, Bethesda Church turned 79 years old. This means that we're now, this morning, entering our second month of our 80th year. So happy birthday, Bethesda, plus one month, plus four days-ish. Honestly, I forgot to mention it last month, so I'm mentioning it now. Even, and Dan even reminded me before the service, and I still forgot it. If you took a look, brief look at our <clears throat> Bethesda Church website, you'd probably happen upon a webpage in there entitled A Short History of Bethesda Church. It reads like this. Bethesda Church was born as an offshoot of Elam Chapel in Winnipeg. A number of Christian men and women felt the time had come to establish a new interdenominational work. The first service was on Sunday, July 16, 1944, and met in the Bible Institute building at the corner of Westminster and Furby. Later that day, uh, later that year rather, the congregation moved into a more permanent location at the corner of Alverstone and Burnell Streets. This new family of Christians eagerly served the Lord 
and stressed prayer, a strong Bible teaching ministry, music, and an active missionary program. The present building of Bethesda Church was dedicated January 14, 1962, so we're both 61 years old. Although the methodology of doing church is constantly being reevaluated, Bethesda remains true to this day to its founding values. Amen. Much less momentous, I'm sure, in the life and ministry of Jesus' congregation known as Bethesda Church, 16 years ago, on the third Sunday of August 2007, which happened to be the 19th of August, I superintended my first service and preached my first sermon as your senior pastor from right here, 16 years ago, yesterday. There has been much water under the bridge, as they say, and in these 16 years of our ministry together, even more water under our bridge in 30 years of total ministry. It's still flowing, this water under our bridge, and we're still standing on the bridge. And let us make no mistake, the bridge is Jesus Christ himself. There is no other bridge. We are standing on Jesus and have been now into our 80th year. Now I hope, indeed I believe and I pray, that our ministries, both mine and Bethesda's, can also be described as persevering by faith and hope in Christ Jesus, which is our sermon title. But I also want to say, if I can, that we have persevered by faith and hope in each other because of Christ Jesus. Now we need to be clear The faith and hope we have in Christ Jesus is ultimate and absolute. The faith and hope we have in Christ Jesus results in our individual and collective salvation from God's wrath and the consequences of sin, which ultimately is death. It is in this sense that we trust only in Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, we cannot do anything as deep and as difficult It's impossible, really, to live a growing, maturing, and serving biblical Christian life and to conduct a fruitful, winsome biblical Christian ministry without either Jesus Christ or his spirit or each other. Maybe a better, more biblical, and more spiritual way of putting it is that God in Christ Jesus builds his church of his people, through his people, and for his people as we depend on or trust the Holy Spirit in each other, resulting in both our good and God's glory. Picking up for just a a moment on an unscripted moment from last time that I preached this uh, from this pulpit, which seems a very long time ago, I noted that we on church staffs must come to realize at some point that we are not indispensable. Jesus will build his church in his way. And that is true. What I didn't say and should have is that while Jesus Christ, his spirit, and his word are truly the only indispensables in building his church and sustaining his church, he chooses not to build his church without us. Indeed, we are his church. That mutual trust and dependence... First, of Jesus Christ, and secondly, of each other, because we're individually indwelt by his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, 
these result in the multiplication of Christ's image, the multiplication of Christ's character on the earth through the life and ministry of the church of Jesus Christ and every single member of it. But the doing of it, both life and ministry in the Spirit, His molding us into Christ's actual image. This is not theoretical. Of forging his character from the inside out in us is messy. It's hard. And here's the worst news of all. It's lifelong. It never stops. So we never attain Christ's actual image in this life. Now, I'd like to ask you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6, if you're not there already. And in just a moment, we'll begin with verse 20. As we do, I'd like us to take just a moment to review and reflect on the actual central truth of our message, which is this one, not the one before. God in Christ Jesus has made us both alive and free. Now, that's the biblical truth. Whether we experience these things in our own lives, it may be another matter. We, we, we are bound up by so many things. We bring things into the Christian life, right? And we spend a lifetime trying to turn loose of them. But the biblical truth is, right now, from the point that we were saved until the point we go to be with Jesus, God in Christ Jesus has made us both alive and free. Now, we'll, we'll need to talk about what it means to be alive and, and what it means to be free, and, and we'll do that. And we also need to talk about what it means to be dead, physically, volitionally, and spiritually. But for now, from our text, beginning with Romans chapter 6 and verse 20, let's look at this first point of truth. Freedom, and note that it's in Air quotes, those aren't air quotes, but these are air quotes for a reason. It's not true freedom, it's called freedom. Freedom, as the word defines it, results inevitably, inescapably, and finally in death. So how does the word world define freedom? It doesn't take a rocket scientist, it doesn't take an investigative journalist, it only takes somebody to pay attention for a couple of hours, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Does not the world define freedom as being whoever we want to be? Never mind our birth, we can be whoever we want to be today. Doing whatever we want to do, however and with whomever we want to do it, going wherever we want, whenever and with whoever we want, and above all other considerations, any and all of it free from judgment. I think that about covers it. I mean, we could be more detailed than this, but it's basically becoming completely independent of God. That's freedom today in the world. But we must be very clear. What the word world calls freedom, the Bible calls 
lawlessness. Even so, we must be very careful here because we're, we, we are not judges. And apart from that knowledge and understanding, we quickly become hypocrites, arrogant, and superior, thinking that we're better than others, even better than each other. And this is what the gospel says. We are to love the world as Jesus loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that the world might be saved and not judged. I'm paraphrasing a couple of verses there. So let's look at our text. Verses uh, 20 and 21 there from Romans chapter 6. For when you, now remember he's speaking to the church, he's speaking to the church at Rome. So we're talking about believers here. So if you're a believer, he's speaking to you. If you're not a believer, he's speaking to you because this is his will for for you also. He's speaking to all of us. For when you, all y'all, it's plural, were slaves of sin. That is, we couldn't not sin. Later on in chapter 8, we'll see eventually that when we're in that place, apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives, we cannot not sin. We are enslaved by sin. The only thing that we can do at our best is to sin. Maybe not as bad as somebody else, but we can't not sin. So when you were slaves of sin, check this out. This is, this is freedom. The world's kind. You were free in regard to righteousness. That is, you didn't have any. There's no such thing as righteousness apart from Christ. There's no such thing as righteousness while being enslaved to sin. But what fruit you were getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. Now I have to tell you, I resonate with that verse very much because I recognize that there was a time, in fact, almost my first 30 years, I didn't come to Christ until I was 29 years old. So most of my first 30 years and certainly all of my adult life until that time is very well described by those words. Free as to righteousness, no fruit except death in my actions, my behaviors. Or the, as it says here, the fruit that I was getting at that time from the things of which I am, in fact, now ashamed. Why? For the end of those things is death. So, freedom, as the world defines it, results inevitably, inescapably, and finally in death. There's a second thing that I'd like for us to see from this text. Freedom, as the Bible defines it, results inevitably, suddenly, incrementally, but fully to life. Notice there are no quotations around freedom. This is true freedom. This is freedom as it's meant to be. This is freedom as the Bible and God have revealed it. 
This sort of freedom that the Bible uniformly commends is much better than the worldly sort of freedom on a number of levels. First, it's free and it's paid for. Our freedom has been secured for us on the cross by Jesus Christ himself. Later on, in just a couple of, uh, in, in the 23rd verse here in a second, we're going to see that it is the free gift of God because Jesus has secured it for us and he gives it to us. It's free and it's paid for. Second, it leads to eternal life. This sort of freedom leads to eternal life. We've, we've noted already that eternal life is Jesus Christ. We get that from 1 John chapter 1, where he speaks of Jesus as the word of life, the eternal life. Uh, he who we heard and, and saw and touched with our, with our own senses. This sort of living, this sort of freedom leads to, doesn't result in, because that's by faith in God's, in, in God and by the work of the Holy Spirit, but it leads to, this sort of freedom leads to eternal life. And third, it restores the very reason for our existence. We've talked about this quite a bit over the last couple of years, and I want to continue to talk about it because we've so, I believe we've so missed out on the very purpose for our existence. And if we go back to the creation account, it's very clear. We are to, as human beings, uniquely, bear God's image in Christ Jesus and represent him on the earth in our place and time. That is our purpose. And not just for us in church, the whole human race. Our reason for being, the reason that God created us, is to bear his image and represent him on the earth in our place and time. Our place and time it simply is a recognition and acknowledgement that that's all we have. From our birth until our death physically, that's, that's the time we have. And wherever we are, that's the place we operate, right? And we are to bear God's image and represent him on the earth in our place and time. So this freedom allows us to return to our reason for existence. Specifically, this sort of freedom enables us to be God's image bearers and representatives on the earth in our place and time. It enables us to do God's will however and whenever he wills it. It compels us to go wherever he leads with whomever he has drawn and is drawing to himself. And any and all of it comes with his sure and certain promise of both his grace and glory. Let's look at our text, verses 22 and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin... Notice he's speaking in a way that implies, not not, not just implies, it, it presumes that this has already happened. At least it's happened spiritually if it's not worked out in, into our lives yet. But now that you, you all, plural, all y'all, have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Now, I, I'm with you when you say, well... How can he say that I've been set free from sin and I still sin? Well, we get some help also in Romans chapter 8. I I think that he's primarily talking here about the power of sin. We can now choose righteousness. Before, we couldn't choose righteousness. We were free from righteousness. But now we have the power, the ability, because the Holy Spirit indwells each and every one of us, to choose 
righteousness, or to choose rightly is another way of putting it. And we have become slaves of God. The fruit you get from this new way of living, this new reality of having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, the fruit we get or you get leads to, I I like the NIV word here, it was holiness. In the ESV it says sanctification, which is a high up, you know, kind of theological word that means holiness. And its end, the end of sanctification, the end of holiness, eternal life. And verse 23 is a very famous, popular, uh, familiar verse. Uh, We often use it in uh, evangelism. For the wages of sin is death. The wages, the compensation, the payment of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So freedom, as the world defines it, results inevitably, inescapably, and finally in death. Freedom, as the Bible defines it, results inevitably, suddenly, incrementally, but fully to life. There's a third thing that we might look at here for just a, just a very brief time. God gave the law to order our earthly lives and to guide us to worship him properly after the fall of humanity into sin. That last part is very important. The law did not come before Adam and Eve fell into sin. It came after. In a very similar way as, to, as the way it talks about us in Christ, no longer being under the law, but now we have the law of Christ written on our hearts. In a very similar way to that, Adam and Eve didn't need a law in a sense because they were perfect. They were created without sin. They chose to sin. Yes, that's true. But before that time, They were without sin. The law has no power over someone who does not sin or has not sinned or would not sin. The law came after that, right? God gave the law to order our earthly lives and to guide us to worship him properly after the fall of humanity into sin. Now, the first thing we should say about these few verses before we look at them is that they are not about marriage. It gives a picture of one aspect of marriage, but but these verses are not actually about marriage. But rather, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is using a very practical application of the law about marriage as an analogy to our larger relationship with God in Christ Jesus as his church. We might even say as his bride. And that is that the law only has or only had jurisdiction over us while we were alive, while we are alive, physically alive it's talking about, which means its domain, its area of operations, it, the extent of its applicability is this life on this earth. That is, until it's set aside by the lawgiver, or it's superseded by some fulfilling event, or until we die the physical deaths mandated by law because of our fall into sin. But praise be to God, that's not the whole story, right? So let's look at it, chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. And, and we know that it's proper for us to look at these together with what, how uh, Romans chapter 6 ends because it says, or do you not know, brothers and sisters? Do you not know? For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So we're talking about our earthly lives here. And here's, here's the example. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. 
But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, there are many things we could talk about here, about marriage, but this is not primarily about marriage. This, this is an example, an analogy to our experience of living with Christ because we are no longer under the law. So if you want to look at the different parts of it, um, the dead husband is to the law as the woman is to Christians today. She is free. We are free. And that is the point. Those who are in Christ Jesus have been rendered as dead to the law. Because Jesus Christ fulfilled it by taking upon himself our sin, our judgment. Probably a better word that I could have used there is our condemnation. Because judgment is ambiguous. We, we could take that a couple of different ways. And God's wrath. All of it. And so are we. Free from the law and its written code and alive in the spirit. So the main thing that we need to take away from this is that we are no longer under the law any more than a a wife is under the law um, bound to her husband who is now dead. The law has effectively been rendered dead. We have effectively been rendered dead to the law because of what Christ has done. And that becomes very clear in the next few verses, verses 4 through 6. And that's where we'll finish. But I I do want us to see uh, the summary statement of it before we get there. Rather... Then continuing to live under the law and its written code, which end is death, those who are in Christ Jesus live, beginning now, eternal life is not something we pick up at the end. Once we are saved, we are now in a a place of eternal life. We have Christ within us by his spirit. He is eternal life. We, we, We now have eternal life. We are eternally alive from now and forevermore in the spirit of God. And the results are eternal life and freedom, dead to the law, alive in the spirit. Verse 6 of, we'll say verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, I want you to I want you to notice this transition that's just happened. When it says that you may belong to another, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are now slaves to God. And because we are now slaves to God, we are now dead to the requirements or the consequences of the law. We are now in Christ and we are available. We are able to be bound with, connected to, associated with, up underneath the sovereignty of Christ. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. His dead body rendered us dead to the law. His resurrection rendered us alive in the spirit. I hope that's clear. So that you may belong to one another, or to another rather, to him who has been raised from the dead 
in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, now, not later, not sometime in a sweet by and by, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, we have to admit, this is complicated. I mean, on one hand, it's, it's simple, dead to the law, alive in the Spirit. But following after Christ, being led by the Holy Spirit, is much more difficult than having a written code and saying, okay, that's the rule, this is what we do. We have to be in an ongoing and daily devotional relationship with God in Christ Jesus. We can't just come to church on a Sunday morning, once or twice or three times or four times even a month or a week. We have to be in an intimate relationship with him whereby we are listening to him. We are following after him. Yes, our first point of contact is in the scriptures, but not because of the law, but because of grace. Because we want to know him. And when we, enter, when we open up the scriptures, we come face to face with the God of the scriptures. It is his word. And his word is supremely a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And we must know him. And so it is, it is difficult. It is harder to follow after Jesus than it is to follow a written code. But it's so much more delightful. It's so much more, what's the word? So much more um, satisfying. And that's not why we do it. But we also don't do it because of duty. We do it because we are called into this relationship with him. And he loves us. And he gave himself up for us that we might be free from sin and death. And we might be alive in the spirit. That the works that we now do, the fruit that we now produce, is lasting unto eternal life, the scripture says. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for your faithfulness all the way to the cross to make us dead to the law. Because you took upon our sin onto your body that was rendered dead. You died for us in every sense. And because of that, we could be made alive. Alive to your spirit, alive in your spirit, and alive for your use and your glory. Thank you, Lord. I pray that uh, you would use these words of yours and these feeble words of mine to grow us up into the knowledge of Christ, which is the goal of your word and spirit working together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, worship team, or duo. 
So this Sunday is the third Sunday of the month, and on that, on the third Sunday of the month, we pray for people who would like to come, and I'll just be sitting here on the steps. If George, Elder George, if you would join me up here, that'd be great. And uh, if we have a woman who would come and, and, and pray also with any ladies who would like uh, to have a lady praying for you, you that would be great also. Um, but before we release, I, I wanted us to hear these words from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, therefore... Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for this hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for this faith. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next time.